Welcome to the Tidal Year, a series about the joy of swimming. With the help of some special guests, we'll discover the human stories behind why we swim. Together, we'll share tales from the places that helped us fall in love with swimming. From Lidos to lakes, by leisure centers in the ocean, I can't wait to dive into these magical places. I'm your host, writer and wild swimmer, Freya Bromley, and every week I'll be chatting to a new explorer, swimmer, author, or campaigner about what water means to them. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, TryHard. I love being in the water, but I don't love what pool chemicals like chlorine do for my skin and hair. TryHard develop water sports specialized skin and hair solutions that eliminate those negative effects of pool chemicals and ocean salts. I'm thrilled to share with all listeners of the Tidal year a very exclusive 15% off when you use code TIDAL at tryhard.co. Welcome back to series two. Thank you to everyone for all your suggestions for guests. We have such a great lineup and I really can't wait to share the episodes with you. Now, I know there's been a bit of a delay for this series. Sorry about that, but it's for a really good reason. I have written a book. Now, like this podcast, it's also called The Tidal Year and it's about my journey swimming in every tidal pool in mainland Britain after my brother's death. From a pool hidden in the cliffs of fishing village Polperro to the quarry lagoon of Aberdeen via Trinky Wick, where Scottish locals meet each year to give the pool wall a fresh lick of paint. With every swim and every stranger I met in the water, the challenge became more than just a way to explore the coast, but also a journey of self-discovery. The tidal year is a true story about the healing power of wild swimming and the space it creates for reflection, rewilding and hope. An exploration of grief in the modern age, it's also a darkly comic tale of female rage and sisterhood. Now it's out with Hodder Books next spring and the link to pre-order is in the show notes. So if that sounds like something that you might like, then please do pre-order it. Writing about my life in a book has been quite unexpected and it's been really healing and at times difficult. So it was really great in this episode to chat to an author about her experience doing the same. I hope you find it as fascinating as I did. So let's dive into episode one of series two. Thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. It was actually another Jessica that put me in touch with your book. Someone messaged me and said, you have to read this book. It's amazing. You will love it. And when I saw swimming, eating, meeting lots of other amazing women on an inspiring adventure, I was like, this is ticking everything I love. And I'm also always interested in books about swimming in a very female space, because I think so many hobbies or spaces are, you know, women were not always the dominant ones, whereas often with a lot of wild swimming is a real space for women, which is amazing. So firstly, just like, thank you for your amazing book, but maybe you can tell me a little bit about the journey to write 21 Miles. Well, I would say that that journey started when I was 34. (laughs) And I can pinpoint that exactly because that was the moment my partner and I decided we were going to try and have a baby. And we threw away the contraception. And like most people, human beings, I think, thought we were going to get pregnant 
immediately and we didn't. Basically, that was the start of what became for us a, like a decade-long struggle to conceive that involved 11 rounds of IVF, multiple miscarriages, and ectopic pregnancy that, um, that from which, you know, like I almost died. And I had this friend from university who'd said to me, Jessica, it's all about the number 43. Like if you haven't had a baby by the time you're 43, and she said this to me when we were sort of both in our sort of late 30s and I was sort of in the trenches of my fertility journey. And she said, if you haven't had a baby by the time you're 43, you can sort of basically get on with the rest of your life and do other amazing things. And I remember thinking, I remember exactly, we were having sushi in Covent Garden before going to see a show. I remember exactly the moment she said that. And I remember also thinking at that point, yeah, but I am going to have had a baby by the time I'm 43. And then after our 11th round of IVF, which didn't work out, I just had this like moment where I thought I need to do something else with my life. And so that was the sort of moment where I turned to what I describe as my childhood dream turned midlife crisis and decided that I was going to swim the English Channel. Like it's just such a crazy idea, Freya, because I knew nothing about swimming English Channel. I could swim, like don't get me wrong, I wasn't a non-swimmer and I had enjoyed swimming as a child, but I basically hadn't done anything more than like swimming on holiday, like in the sea when the weather's warm or a few lengths, you know, in in the pool and like for all my life, you know. And I really don't like exercise I hate the cold. Like, like my like motto in life is you can never be too cozy. And and the only thing I like about training is wine and food on the sofa. So, but anyway, once I thought this idea, I couldn't unthink it, and it sort of became start of a journey to swim the English Channel, which changed my life, literally, in so many different ways. Some of which I'm sure we'll talk about, and. So, yeah, 21 miles is 21 miles from England to France, the length of the, the width of the English Channel. And the, the book, which is delighted that you've read it and enjoyed it, is, yeah, is the book about that story. But it's about, as you know, many other things. It's not just about swimming the Channel. It's about eating and women in the 21st century and our you know finding our identity as mothers or not as mothers yeah it's about as all as all my writing is about many things thank you for for sharing and i'm so interested that you weren't kind of like a serious endurance swimmer before you get started because I always kind of imagined that, you you know, you were doing lots of laps in the pool and had your goggles and your swimming cap because I'm very much a dipper. And when I tell people that I swim, I think that's what they assume I do. But I just like splashing about and, you know, doing some breaststroke. So you were kind of the same and then decided, no, I'm going to do a serious endurance challenge. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I mean, I still think of myself as a head-up breaststroker. That, I mean, like, that is when I am happiest. Like, I, uh, that is my stroke, head-up breaststroke. <laughs> no question about it. You, you know, you all know this because this is one of the early chapters in the book. You know, like, once I had this 
idea of swimming the channel, you know, and you start to do some sort of research, like I had no idea how long it would take. I had no idea what it was like to swim in cold water. And most people who come to a challenge like that, I would say, I mean, I do think the world of like open water swimming, wild swimming is totally transformed in the last few years. You know, so many more people are doing it and they might start as dippers and then work their way up. And actually, I do think that is one route to doing bigger swims or marathon swimming, you know, although you nowhere near need to, you know, you don't need to do anything as extreme as swimming the channel but necessarily but you know I think one way to approach it but this wasn't what I did is to sort of start by swimming outdoors and then gradually work up the other thing that in my experience is that you know there are also lots of people who were big swimmers as children you know swam for the county you know, were those people who sort of got up and went to the pool before school and did loads of things. I wasn't that person either. Like I was a member of a swimming club, but I was the, you know, the slowest person. Like, you know, as I wrote again in my book, like I, I breaststroke legs was my stroke, <laughs> breaststroke legs. And it was a journey of like a gradual sort of unpeeling of, you know, of an onion, I suppose, in in understanding that, you know, the average time it takes to swim the channel is 15 hours. And you can't, or you, 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 well, you could wear a wetsuit, but if you want to be an official channel swimmer, you can't wear a wetsuit because Captain Matthew Webb, who was the first man to swim the channel in 1875, didn't wear a wetsuit. I didn't realise that was where it was. I assumed it was like a... Oh, yeah, okay. well, so therefore, you, you know, you have to adhere to those same conditions if you want to be an official channel swimmer. I mean, you know, that's all rubbish on one level in the sense that you can do anything you want however you want to do it. You know, that's the important thing. And actually, if you want to swim the 21 miles from England to France in a wetsuit, and that's what you want to do, that's great, in my opinion. But if you want to go on the books as being an official channel swimmer, then you can only wear a costume that cannot creep below, you know, the the, th- the top of the or the crotch. And um, you can't have sleeves and you can only wear one hat and you can wear goggles and you can wear earplugs. And that's it. And then obviously all the other rules you can't get out, you know, like, you know, like people or the questions I always get asked is like, oh, do you cover yourself in goose fat? Well, no, because, yeah, it doesn't keep you warm. It just makes you sticky. Can you get out for a rest along the way? Well, no, you can't. Can't You can't even touch the boat. And I, I did think to begin with that I, like, I thought, well, I'm going to do it breaststroke. And then, like, I realized that, like, if you do it breaststroke, it's longer, you know, so you're in the cold for longer. And the first time I got into cold water, I mean, even now, 10 minutes in cold water is horrific. But like just so the first time I swam 10 minutes in, in water below 15 degrees, which you have to swim to qualify to swim the channel six hours in water of that temperature. Like I just thought, this is going to be impossible. But of course, like with any challenge, you know, there's something out which again, we might come in to talk about because, you know, like the really frightening thing for me with the channel was when I realized that my success was out of my control. Because of course, with any challenge that seems 
huge and beyond you if you put in the work you can you know like you can do it however with the channel ultimately the sea decides whether you can cross her so it doesn't so actually there was a long long journey to go on to to get myself into a position where I could even try and I did do that work and then I you know like I had this amazing moment which I do describe in the book as well where I was coming back from Dover you know a few weeks before my tide and I'd done the pinnacle of channel swimming training which is you do seven hours of one on one day and six hours on the next it's called the seven six in Dover Harbour and I was on the train and I said to the you know the channel swimmer uh, trainer the channel other swimmers who were training for the channel with me like just done the seven and six I can't believe it and I'm not even a swimmer an open water swimmer and they said you are now you know and I suddenly thought yeah I, I am I am but even though I had done all that work, ultimately I knew when I found out, when I, re- when I had the realisation that whether I would get across was actually out of my control because the sea controls that, that was terrifying for me because that was just like what had happened with trying to have a baby, you know, like nature was making the decision on that. And I, yeah, and I, I just, I had to confront that. It was a big, big thing. I was just going to ask you that the, the, you know, the parallels there with putting everything in and you can want something so much and you can try for something so much, but there's also this external element. That moment of mirroring must be, must have been a lot. Yeah, terrifying. I was really scared it, I was going to fail again, you know, and I didn't. And I feel very, very, very blessed for that. But um, I also, through that realisation and through that journey, it, it, it became a conversation with nature that ultimately healed a lot of the other pain, you know. So it's meant to be in a way. But I didn't even know that. I don't mean it's meant to be whether you have a baby or you don't or you swim the channel or you don't. I just mean that, like, isn't it extraordinary that I chose a challenge without really knowing anything about it and definitely not realising the parallels between what I'd been through and what I was about to go through. And yet it was those parallels that transformed my life. And that sort of feels in a way kind of meant to be. Yeah, because something was certainly searching for that experience inside you. And I love that quote, in your book around it being both, you know, a childhood dream and a midlife crisis, because I think so much of the time when something's calling us to get in the water, it is, like you say, an unpeeling of going back to a child self of play and exploration and vulnerability. It's one of the only times I feel a little bit like I get close to that in the water. And so that's interesting that you kind of also had that as a childhood dream as well and going back to that childhood time of well I may not even be a swimmer I may be the slowest in school like you say but there was something about you that was like I'd love to I'd love to do the channel one day I mean it's interesting what you say about playfulness because I don't think it's about playfulness for me but this is what's really interesting about the conversation but what you made me think of there is that I've just come I've just come back from a, like a week in France and we had a big family holiday and we were staying in a lovely place with a pool and there were lots of kids. And one day we were sort of 
Like I don't generally get into the water to play. I mean, I I have another relationship with water that's come subsequent to swimming the channel that again we might discuss, but I generally don't get in the water to play. But on this holiday I did and like I was diving again and, and that was extraordinary because actually that childhood dream came from a place which is you know who I am and like the things that I've done in my life demonstrate this is that I'm a grafter you know I'm a worker like I went through 11 rounds of IVF I swam the channel I graft in there I don't play in there but what I was going to say in terms of after what now now in terms of my relationship with water although I, I, I still don't play in there I go to it because it's sort of like a home to me so now I don't even need to spend very long in the water. You know, like I, I swim in the Lido. On, like I've been going to the, I, I swim near, I live near Hampstead Heath and I've been swimming in the ponds in the Lido. And I like literally, I take my mum who's 90 years old to the ponds and we like literally get in and do like five or 10 minutes. And that is enough for me just to go back to a place of sort of rejuvenation and transformation at the water like it's just feeling the water and then I started to think I, I really ought to like do a bit more exercise at the moment so I went to the Lido and did like 10 lengths because you obviously like it's harder to sort of do a, like a proper swim in the pond and I, I put up on Instagram yesterday, like, I've done a perfect 10 lengths. And then afterwards, I thought, oh, God, everyone's going to be thinking 10 lengths. Is that it? You know, is that, you're a channel swimmer. But, like, I kind of feel really proud of that because, like, that's all I need, you know. Like, I just need, like, 10 minutes is hard. 10 lengths is hard. I mean, they're long lengths in the lighter. And also... For me, all I need to do is maintain that connection with the water now. It's so special. It's it's honestly like a reset button. I, I totally feel that. And I, especially when I'm swimming in cold water, I'm very much five to 10 minutes. But again, that is that is all I need. I think I'd been really struggling with a, with a hard time with, with grief when my brother died. And I tried so much. I tried yoga and I tried reading lots of different things and tried things that obviously weren't going to help like drinking and sex and then found swimming kind of got back into it actually at Hampstead Ponds uh, on a New Year's Day swim which was an amazing amazing place to start a new year and being in the water just you know diving and playing takes me back to an unburdened time a playful time but I think it and I, I'm always very interested that space, especially in women's lives, where we go through not swimming, because often people will go, well, I loved swimming as a child, or I was good at it at school, or I loved it. And then it becomes tricky for your hair, and you don't want to put your face in, and you start your period, or you start growing hair. And I just then, you know, being forced to put on a swimsuit and get in water was horrible. And being able to take back my body as a place of play in the water has been really nice for me, I think. Oh, that's beautiful. And did you, can I ask, do you mind me asking, did you used to swim with your brother and did you have a lot of yeah lots and that so I think that's why it's so nice is that he was often my brother and sister were often encouraging us to play you know we would try and talk to each other underwater or play dolphins or do th th that kind of play I think was so was so nice and I was interested when I was reading 
your book, that kind of relationship with the body and swimming and reclaiming it in a different way. I mean, I was so moved when you used the word failed because that's such a powerful word when it feels like our, our bodies are failing us and then suddenly have this thing of strength. What was that like for you kind of being like, my body can do this thing and I can swim the channel and that and now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm often asked this question and I don't have the like, but I, I you know, like I don't have the obvious answer to anything because I'm still working it all out and still trying to find, you know, and writing is a big part of that for me to try and find the words of what my life experience means for myself and other people. But I think it, it it's too simple for me to say my body failed to get pregnant. Therefore I went into the water and it, and my body showed its strength by swimming the channel like that isn't the equation for me because I often feel and I'm still searching for an answer to this but I I often feel that part of the reason that I couldn't get pregnant I mean I I don't know because I had unexplained infertility so I never got a a sort of definitive diagnosis but sometimes I feel my body was too strong you know you know, I, I think this is an instinctive feeling. It's not based on anything. But, you know, like I was, I became a chief executive at a very young age. I often felt like I was a, I was a sort of, I was doing a man's job in a woman's skin. Like then, then I couldn't get pregnant. I felt like I'm not a proper woman. I Like I always sort of felt really strong and that maybe my body was fighting off the embryos that we were creating and so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that I could go and do something as ginormous as the channel because I do or as extreme as the channel because I do think that is me and I don't I don't I don't want to like ever suggest that that's what I think the answer is for anyone but it it was my answer and I think you know, for all sorts of reasons. And, and and I think more than anything, what the water did is it gave me something else to think about, you know, like for my body to think about. <laughs> like, actually, I've never, it's just extraordinary having these conversations because I always sort of get a new window on it and I've just had it then. That was the important thing for me. It was about, this is for me, you know, the channel is such a personal experience. Like it's, my relationship with the water and with that journey to swim the channel you know like we are like it's it's almost like I feel at one with the water like I I almost get surprised like it's a really like it's a really weird thing that anyone else has has the same intimacy of relationship with water than I do because we are we are as one you know but that's fine because everyone else can have their own relationship but you know like she is me and I am her that's what it gave me it was it gave me something else which which was not about my body working but just about yes another relationship that I needed and that's why I have to be in contact with it all the time yeah it's like a second skin sometimes and I think one of the things that you you know mentioned a few times in your writing is that feeling of weightlessness and how much that just unburdens you is is amazing. And I think it's very 
I was about to say all of us, but maybe it's just a me thing, is I'm always searching for meaning with everything. Things can't happen without meaning. Otherwise, life is too difficult if it's not all going to be neatly wrapped in some kind of story. And so that's interesting that, you know, I'm looking for something from you of, yes, but Jessica, surely you did that and it made you realise your strength. And I think sometimes it is important to remind us that we can get learnings for things and things have meaning, but they don't have to be wrapped up in in that way. No, absolutely. And not only are they all wrapped up in one wrapping paper, but also like, that looks the same for everyone. But also what it looks like for me is changing all the time. You know, like in a year's time, it will look different again, you know, and it's always colored by then what comes next or how you reappraise what came before, you know, given what came next. So it's always changing. You know, it's an opal, right? Yeah, and I feel very conscious of that, you know, working on a book, especially about swimming and grief, that people might ask things about that and that I'm going to feel a little bit like a fraud going, well, (laughs) I don't really know. I haven't figured it out. That's why I wrote the book to try. And so I find it really empowering to be reminded that, you know, the act of actually trying to figure something out that's the important part because we go on and we do that forever and that's what we always do and it changes and and it evolves and I'm sure that's something you have you know now being a spokesperson for one of you know very few women that have swum the channel but then also somebody who's now a spokesperson for infertility and motherhood and all of these conversations and to remind us all that we don't have the answers but it's just really important to have the questions and keep asking right Yes, definitely. I think that's okay. You know, like, you know, sometimes I worry, like when I do interviews like this, and especially when I'm talking about something that's happened very recently. I mean, what's interesting about the channel is that, well, I signed the channel in 2015. So it's coming up for seven years. And in in September 2015. So I do, like, I've talked about, I've written about it. I've subsequently talked about it a lot and so like some things about it are really clear and potentially fixed you know like so this thing about the relationship with nature and nature ultimately being in control is and accepting that is fixed but but like when I'm talking about stuff that's happened on in more the more recent past of my life you know, now I'm still trying to work that out and I'm having conversations and I get to the end of the conversation and I think, oh God, that didn't really, I didn't really articulate that very well. And like that came out wrong. But I think as long as you're always approaching it authentically, you know, and, 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 you know, saying that you're still trying to work this out and recognizing that your writing is a moment in time and some of those things it's all like all writing, you know, like you go back and I don't know how you feel about it. Like it's just a bit about the writing process because I'm working on my third book at the moment that, you know, like you write something, you think it's amazing. And then the next day you read it again and it reads like total shit. And then, uh, you know, and actually I feel that about most of my writing all the time. But occasionally, you know, you will write a sentence, you know, like you just quoted the sentence from my book, you know, part childhood dream, part midlife crisis that sort of says, yeah, that is what it was. That is exactly what it was, choosing to swim the channel. And you know that you said it. I mean, that's not particularly poetic. And sometimes you 
write something that is, you know, more poetic that it, it, that that stands the test of time. But it will change, and some things later on you'll feel like, oh well, I I didn't I wasn't quite sure when I wrote that, and now it's in print, you know. <laughs> No, it's there forever, and I can't take it back. <laughs> but that's okay. I think that's okay, as long as you've written it with heart and love, which I'm sure you are approaching your book with. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that's all we can really hope for, and that takes a that takes a while to get used to, because obviously we all want to write something incredibly beautiful and poetic as well. That's nice. And I felt that a lot of the poetry in your book was about the close relationship between pain and also so much joy because so much of it is so warm and so funny and you know that's often a feeling you get after swimming being able to share an experience with people and I loved all the bits about food and having you know them in close relationship to everything you were going through I thought was amazing it's all about the food it's all about the food I also didn't know that you have to put on you know weight and bulk up for the channel I mean it's it's obvious but tell me a little bit about that and how that started your journey to meet so many people well we talked about this a bit earlier in that you can't wear a wetsuit from the channel so basically the only way to save out of the cold save off the cold is human padding and you know you can take that to extremes because there is a balance right between you know being streamlined as possible in the water and otherwise but definitely not only because of the training the how much training you're doing in cold water but also having a look you know like if you're really skinny it is not good you get colder so it's a license to eat and when I sort of realized this like I thought that sort of then became the premise of this story that I've written which is what if I wrote 20, you know, 21 miles from England to France, why don't I write 21 famous inspirational women and ask if they will meet and eat with me to help me put on weight to swim the channel and answer the question, does motherhood make you happy? So that is kind of the premise of the book. So it's my journey to coming out of unsuccessful fertility treatment or it could be, you know, that is my grief, right? That is, but it could be any form of grief. Like you talked about your your brother's death, you know, like, you know, I came out of a period of grief. That was my particular grief. I went on this journey. I'm not the first, I'm not the last woman in the world that has used exercise to try and mend a broken heart. That was what I was doing, you know, but also I had this other element, I, I guess, which is quite unusual, but then I never do straightforward things, which is that I met with these incredible women. And we had these conversations that like, you know, were amazing. And they were about motherhood and non-motherhood and swimming. I mean, they didn't necessarily meet them to talk about water, but it's amazing how many people you know, do have a relationship with water or have a relationship with endurance. Or, and then there was this thing about eating. And then that was really interesting because women have such a fascinating relationship with food. You know, like some people didn't eat, you know. And like, and, and there was some, like some people write to me and go, but they didn't eat with you. And I get it. You know, they were giving me, an, they were a famous person who was giving me an hour of their time or a famous busy person giving me an hour of their time. And like, they didn't necessarily want to like, you know, like, 
have a big meal with me or whatever or even a slice of cake I mean I get it I save up my cake for a special moment and a special but I don't necessarily want to have it when I meet with a stranger right I want to save up my cake for a special time but yeah those conversations were all around what people ate or didn't eat and I loved it when people had a big meal with me like you know like I remember getting really disappointed when I met Prue Leaf you know from the great British Bake Off which I was so thrilled about and she had a peach and you know I was just imagining us having cake together but she yeah she had a perfectly formed peach but actually that then becomes the story and she was amazing amazing to me because she's had one adopted child and one biological child. I listened to Prue's Desert Island Disc actually quite shortly after reading that and just thought that she was amazing. And I think one of the things, you know, of the topic of the body and eating that comes up in your work, you know, in a slightly different way, she addresses, you know, dressing in so much colour and wanting to be vibrant and fun and not wanting to get older and not be able to wear amazing clothes. And I think she's hugely inspiring. The fact that she ate a peach was amazing. It was better than if she was she was eating cake. I thought it was very fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she does eat cake. You know, she's got. She's. It's not like she's not someone who doesn't enjoy food. You know, she definitely does. It's just that's what she felt like in that moment, and it was such good looking peach. Yeah, she's a real inspiration to me. I'm like a massive Desert Island Disc fan. So she's done two Desert Island Discs. Listen to them both. You probably because she did one quite recently at Christmas, didn't she? And then she did one years and years ago. And it's really, yeah, she's brilliant. Brilliant. I didn't know she had two, so I'll have to dig that out. And I loved Desert Island Discs also. And I haven't listened to very many from swimmers. So maybe that's one to dig out. We'll have to, we'll have to chat about whether there's many channels from us that have been on uh, Desert Island Discs. Jessica, earlier, you know, speaking of amazing women like Prue, I also wanted to ask you about your mum because you said that she was, was it 93 and you swim, she's 90 and you, you swim together. We do, we do. Yeah. She's like more of a celebrity than me at the pond. Not, not that I'm a celebrity at all being a channel swimmer because the ponds are like full of amazing swimmers. But yeah, she, she has become a bit of a celebrity at the ponds because I think she probably is, well, if not the oldest, definitely one of the oldest. And like I, she was, I had her swimming in the Lido actually on her 90th birthday in March in sub 10 degrees temperature. She's incredible, you know, and like, I, I would say, I can't say that like my, my swimming comes from her. It's like, that's not a direct line in the sense that like my mum was a swimmer and therefore I became a swimmer. She's always been sort of really physically and mentally tough and would get into cold water and had cold showers. And it's just a beautiful thing to be doing together. And she has this like moment when she gets in the pond where, you know, like, because the thing, the thing, I mean, you know this from the challenge that you've been doing, it doesn't matter how warm or cold the water is. Getting in is always hard and the first 30 seconds is tough. You know, like it always feels cold. It, it's never, it's never feels warm. And so that like, I, I, you know, her face when she first gets in, because she's really, really skinny now, you know, it's, it's always a bit terrifying. And then this massive smile comes onto her face. And she does also like the adoration she gets, no doubt. 
you know, like, because, you know, I think people look at her and think, God, you know, 90 years old, swimming in the ponds, you know, it is incredible. <laughs> but I would like to say that I have a small, it's seriously yeah, incredible. I have a small part to play because, you know, I give her the confidence to, you know, to go, you know, you know, like I, I am pretty tough, but I'm also very respectful of the water. You know, and I always say to people, like, it always worries me when I see people diving in if they're not acclimatized, you know, and, you know, it's so easy to spend too much time in the water because, you know, like, you, you all know that classic thing that, you know, like, if you start feeling really good in the water when it's cold, you're getting hypothermia. And so I'm sort of always, when people, when I see people getting into the water, for the first time or the first few times, I'm always sort of encouraging them to like be really respectful and it is amazing, but you know, go slow. But with my mum, it's so funny. We always fight afterwards because I'm like, you know, come on, you've got to put your hat on. You've got to, even, even in the heat now, you know, it's really important because she's so, because she's old and vulnerable and because she's very, very slim and she's sort of like always like, I, I'm okay. Leave me alone. And I think like, that's all good. You know, if she's fighting me about whether she should wear a hat or not when she gets out, that's, that's all good. <laughs> I love that about the ponds. I still remember, you know, the first time I went to the ladies pond, they said, is it your first time here? Swim from this ladder to this ladder. And the way that everyone looks out for each other, I think is amazing. And I remember I was with a friend who, you know, lives near Finsbury Park and she took me and she was waving hello to people. And I said, how do you know, how do you know everyone here? And she said, it's the, going to the ponds is like being in a club and, that's so hard to come by in a place like London. And it's so important because swimming can be really dangerous. And I think it's quite a barrier for people that want to get get into it, the fear of doing it in a safe way. So being able to do it with friends, I think is super important. I had one brush with hypothermia and was very lucky. I was in Scotland and I very much underestimated. I'd been swimming in a lot of cold water in London, thought I'll be totally fine. We were in Scotland. It was a special trip to swim in some tidal pools up there. And I think we were just euphoric and so excited to be there that I spent spent too long in North Baths. Had that amazing giddy feeling, like you say, which is obviously adrenaline. And she was like, Freya, get, you know, get in the car. And I, I could see her lips moving, but I couldn't hear what she was saying. So you're really feeling your body kind of shut down in slow motion and we do a lot of our journeys on public transport and we had a car that day so I was very lucky that she was there to you know get me in the car and help me get changed so it was a real lesson to me to don't get overexcited and spend too long in the water the water is very different temperature depending on where you are in the UK and what you know what sea you're in and also like be be with a friend that can look out for you because I never make that mistake again (laughs) No, no. Well, that's really interesting. I'm glad you've shared that because it's really important for people to hear that. And I've got one more question for you, which is that as well as your mum, I know you have some other women in your family that have a connection with the ladies pond. So how old were you when you went? And is it your... How do you know that? (laughs) I did my research. What, you're talking about my aunt, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My aunt was the chair of the ladies pond, yeah. Wild swimming has totally transformed. You know, it like when my aunt who died a few years ago was swimming you know like it was a sort of small clique of 
like really amazing women who did it. And my mum actually, interestingly, wasn't part of that set. I mean, she would go and get in sort of on a sporadic basis. But my aunt, who was very much, you know, like one of these really sort of, you know, formidable, you know, chair people, you know, and uh, she was the chair of the ladies fund. And yeah, and in spirit, people still remember her. And she, and, and I mean, I grew up with her. We grew up in like a big family house. And so I was very close to her. And she's, yeah, she's definitely has been a massive influence in my life, not necessarily in my swimming. But I definitely like the, the idea that like, I then went and swam the channel. And she definitely probably felt that was like, you know, like partly her swim as well. And I'm happy for her to have that, even though I wouldn't necessarily say that there was a like a direct link between my aunt and my swimming story or my mum and my swimming story. But they are, I mean, you know, because you've read my book, like that isn't central to the book. And if it was central to my life, it would have been more central to the book that it had come out of a, a family of swimmers. But what is true is that I did have a family of swimmers. And I'm sure that's in my DNA somewhere. <laughs> it's amazing to still have that connection. That's that's the important thing. Me and my mum did a swim on Boxing Day and she's not necessarily a swimmer, but, you know, probably in our life we've spent hours together in the water and it was nice to have that as well. And I loved hearing you say that you're, oh, you know, I'm not that tough, even though you've swam the channel. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm mentally tough. I, I'm really, I do think I'm mentally tough. Like, I reckon I can, like, face down anyone on a mental challenge of, like, en- enduring pain. I can endure a lot of physical and mental pain. And I'm sure a lot of that was in, um, you know, the Pond and Peak Challenge. I'd love to, if you could explain a little bit about what, what that challenge is. Yeah, uh, well, that's a whole other chapter. Well, very, very quickly, after I signed the channel, everyone said to me, and this is very, very good advice, and I should have followed it, you must not think about doing another challenge anytime soon and because it is really true that when you've reached the destination of a challenge that has been so life-changing and you feel like on top of the world you then do have a like a slump you know like I I, I don't I'm sure there's a sort of scientific reason for it but it does happen and so I didn't listen to any of this very very good advice and within three weeks I basically booked to climb Kilimanjaro which like I I knew in the same way I knew nothing about climbing mountains like I knew nothing about swimming seas and I went off a few months after I swam the channel I and climbed Kilimanjaro and that was essentially the start of what became a journey to climb Everest and achieve this thing called the Pond Peak Challenge which is swimming the channel and climbing Everest or climbing Everest and then swimming the channel and it's only been done by a handful of people and I did want to be the first woman because when I started it no woman had done it it'd been done by a handful of men but no woman had done it and I set out to try and be the first woman and I was supposed to go to Everest in 2020 but the mountain was shut due to COVID and then I did go into 2021 but I didn't manage to summit because our expedition got closed down due to COVID. And then a wonderful woman called Anna Brown, who I was having a chat with this morning, she climbed Everest in 2018 and she swam the channel last 
September. So she became the first woman and I became the second. So we're the only two women that have done it and we're totally bonded in the most incredible way. Yeah, and she's a proper swimmer. She, she'll she probably say this is not true, but she is a real swimmer and a real mountaineer, and I am a charlatan swimmer and a charlatan mountaineer. But I can beat anyone on physical and mental fame. That is for sure. If this chat has proved anything, it's that you're a real grafter. I love that. You're such an inspiration, Jessica. Thank you so much for oh, chatting to me. And even if I maybe don't swim the channel, I feel like I need to look at everything in the same way as a challenge like you did. It's so inspiring. And I'm also just so happy that you now have this amazing connection. What good company to keep to have this other person that's got just as much resilience as you. That's like a new new connection that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't done that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. I loved hearing at the beginning of this conversation about you, the adventure that you've been on that's come out of this period of grief for you and it, it, for me it's all about adventures isn't it? it doesn't matter whether you end up doing a marathon swim or you end up you know like swimming in all the tidal pools in the country for five minutes each you know it is the adventure isn't it and that is the transformation it sounds like you've been on your own and I cannot wait to read more about that thank you so much Jessica Thank you to Jessica for sharing so openly in our chat. Her book, 21 Miles, is available wherever you usually buy your books. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Try Hard. Say goodbye to Chlorine and shop their skin and hair products at 15% off with the code TIDAL. See you next week.